is a blessing to be here, spend a little time together, and think together. The question came up in class this morning, or briefly was acknowledged in class this morning, the most important thing that we do on a Sunday morning, and, I, and the whole class agreed, listen to me. Okay, maybe that wasn't the consensus of the class this morning, but we'll, uh, we'll, uh, oh, never mind. We'll go ahead. I'm glad that you're here today. It's a lot better than being at the State Fair. You could have gotten stuck on the top of the Ferris wheel, so just be glad that you're here today. And we think about it. I'm going to continue in the thought, getting to the serious matters at hand. Continue in the thought that I was, I was offering to you before we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. And the idea and the title of the lesson this morning is, For You. This is for you. You know, we are taught to be a very humble people. We're taught to be not selfish. We're taught to give to others. We're taught to put others before ourselves. Back in the 1970s when the, a lot of buses were running around picking up children to go to, to Bible classes and so forth, various places. A lot of them had the letters J-O-Y on the side of them, and they'd talk about the joy buses. And you probably recognize that the J-O-Y stood for Jesus, others, and then yourself. And there were quite a few that taught, yes, we put God and his son first. We put others before ourselves, and then we put ourselves last. You know, there is some truth to that, but there is also some negative to it. If we don't take care of ourselves, if we don't think about ourselves, who do we take care of? If we don't love ourselves, how can we know to love others? Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is a self-importance that is not a bad self-importance. There is a personal recognition that is not a bad recognition. If you get sick, you go to the doctor for yourself. You don't say, well, I'm going to stay home so somebody else can go to the doctor in my place. No, that's not what we do. You get sick, you go to the doctor, you see the doctor for yourself. You got a legal problem, you go to the lawyer, take care of that business. You get things done. There are things we do for ourselves. When you're hungry, you say, well, I'm not going to eat because I'll let somebody else eat in my place. No, you go and eat when you're hungry. You take care of yourself. You deal with that. That's the way we are. There is an importance to recognizing taking care of ourselves and seeing about our needs, and God knows it. God gave it to us. God recognizes it as it is important in our lives. I want to keep that in mind, in the background of your mind, as we think about some things this morning, because something struck me, and I think it was the latter part of last week, and uh, some of you will recognize, as we've been studying in our Sunday morning Bible class, uh, and all if you haven't been there, it's shame on you, but in our Sunday morning Bible class, we've been studying in the book of Mark, and a week or so ago, we came across this situation and I thought, this is, this is a really important thing I want us to think about this morning. And so that's where it's going to go. We're in Mark chapter 10, verses 46, and reading from there. Beginning in verse 46 of Mark chapter 10, we read, Now they came to Jericho, talking about Jesus and the company with him. They came to Jericho, and he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, as he went out, I beg your pardon, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. 
Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well, and immediately received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Notice the line. Notice the line. What do you want me to do for you? Keep that in the back of your mind. For you. In 1970, Bernie Taupin and Elton John were kind of at the top of their game, and they put together a beautiful, and I say a little song. I think it's a very peaceful, nice song. A beautiful little song that you probably heard if you've been riding in an elevator recently or sitting in a doctor's waiting room somewhere. It's simply called Your Song. Take notice of the words in the chorus. My gift is my song. And this one is for you. You might note that songs often carry the name of a person, especially a woman, uh, So many songs have been written for women who are loved by men or something about that. But they are not necessarily written as a gift to be given to that person. Maybe written about them, but they're not necessarily given to them, those people. But you know, when something is given to you, Something is truly given to you. When something thoughtful comes your, is brought your way, I think it is an indescribable feeling when you know that something special, something of great determination has been done for you or given to you. I'm not talking about the ordinary, although it is, does apply, I think, to some level. It's not the casual holding of a door, the buying of a foot-long uh, corn dog at the state fair. It's not even the simple kind word or the pat on the back that I'm especially talking about today. As nice as all of those things are, I am talking about an effort of focus, an effort that is strong, maybe even sacrificial. When you know that someone has gone to great effort, and determined to do something that was thought to be especially for you. There are no words to really describe, no words to really adequately describe the feelings that you have from that kind of thing. Now on the other side, on the other side, as receivers, it may be that there is a part of each of us that, that really strives to avoid, tries to avoid that special notice. We don't like necessarily to be put in those positions of, of that kind of feeling in a way. For there's a certain pleasure in being able to go without the notice, without the expectations, to be kind of anonymous in life. At the same time, though there is that truly powerful part of us that longs to be recognized, that longs to to have someone notice and recognize needs and care about those needs and maybe maybe even act on those needs. I think we do, for the most part, want. We want to be seen. We want to be appreciated. We want to have our needs and our desires fulfilled. With that in mind, 
With that in mind, think about the passage we read. For I think when we go to it and we look at ourselves very carefully and we put ourselves in the background of this, it's the idea of that song, I think it was Alan Parsons' group put out, Let us talk, let's talk about me for a minute. Because everyone, as I said, appreciates being noticed. We want people to know that we're there. Sometimes we'll stand around. I sometimes will say, I'd like to stand in the middle of the aisle so everybody knows I'm there. They have to knock me over to get by me. I'm being a little bit silly, but I think we all like to be noticed. Everyone appreciates being noticed, except when we made a mistake or had an accident or something like that. Generally, we look around and say, I hope nobody heard that, nobody noticed that somewhere along the line. Can you imagine how Simon Peter must have felt? When Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, you're saving the things of men and not the things of God in Matthew 16. We don't really like to be noticed there. We don't like somebody to, to point out our flaws or our mistakes, at least not publicly. Analysis of personal equality and maybe even superiority is common when someone else is being acclaimed, though, and so there is still that long. When somebody else gets noticed, we say, well, why didn't I get that? That's not just siblings. That's not just children at home. Why did he get that? Why didn't she get that? Sometimes when somebody else is getting attention, you wonder, why in the world am I not getting that attention? That's one of those things that might run through your mind about 3 o'clock in the morning when you're waking up and can't go back to sleep. You see, we just don't like to be overlooked. We don't like to be overlooked. When being slighted, we tend to look for others who share our feelings. So, you know, they, they overlook me. Somebody else says, well, yeah, they've done the same thing to me because misery loves its company, and we, we like to share with people who have that, that common sense of misery. And, and so it, it all comes back to that idea of we want to be noticed. We want people to know we're there. We may not want the spotlight all the time. We may not want to be put up on a stage. We may not want to have to say some words, but we like being noticed. Because there is always a question about the person, me. There's always that question that comes back to me in that regard. Because a part of our attraction to God is that personal need for God in our lives. Not just the collective need, but the personal, the individual need of God in our lives. That's a part of our attraction to him, a part of our attraction to Jesus. It's because of that personal need in our lives. People came to Jesus, and they came sometimes in multitudes, in large numbers. For some, it was simply about hearing about the kingdom and the fulfillment of prophecy. For many, it was to receive something from him, a healing, a loved one, a, a special word or something like that, and he would heal them all and he would care about them all and even Jesus encouraged them to come in large numbers but he encouraged them to come as individuals with their burdens Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28 come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me he told him his yoke is easy and his burden light Come to me, he said, because you know your struggles. You know your individual needs. You know your heart. You know your mind. You know your weaknesses, and you know your strengths. Paul taught a prayer that it should be focused from you. As you pour out before God the anxieties that you want to release, you let go of those. Be anxious in nothing, he says, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, let your, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's a personal matter, a very personal thing. 
That's Philippians 4. And so when the blind man, when the blind man is seen, he wants to have his sight. A blind man wants his sight. If you're blind, what do you want? You want to be able to see. If you're deaf, you want to be able to hear. If you're lame, you want to be able to walk. But if you're blind, you want to be able to see. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Here he is at the end of his ministry. Here he is winding down. Here he is in those final days, final weeks of his ministry. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus passes through Jericho. And we know about Jericho, don't we? We've taught it in our Sunday school classes so many times. We've told the story so many times. We see the Israelites marching around the city of Jericho. It's the first place. They confront when they come into the land. And we see the, wall, the walls fall in our mind. But now it's a city. Yes, it was the city where the walls fell early in the book of Joshua. It was even a cursed city. <clears throat> As Joshua cursed the city in its rebuilding, which actually came about when the man who laid his foundation and his own child died as a result, 1 Kings 16. But it's that same city. It's the city where he meets Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus that we teach and sing in the little kids' classroom, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. All it says is short of stature. I don't know that wee little man is the best description, but it works well in the children's song in the Sunday school class, you know, and so forth. So uh, if somebody comes up and says you're a wee little man, that just means that you're not, well, never mind. But that's where he met Zacchaeus. That's where Zacchaeus made a testimony about his own life. That's where he climbed up in the tree to see Jesus. You know the story. You know Jericho. You know about Jericho. Jesus did some teaching, spent some time there with that man Zacchaeus right there in the community. But it's there where he meets the blind man. And as Mark describes it, as they're coming out of Jericho, there is a crowd with him, not only his closest disciples, not only his traveling companions, but there is a multitude, there is a large number of people coming out with him. And it seemed like there's always a crowd following Jesus, and they're pressing close to him, and it's hard to get next to Jesus. It's hard to get your voice in because there are so many people there. And here's a beggar, and picture that, picture that in your mind. Here is a beggar out by the side of the road. Here's a man that begs for whatever he can get from people. And here on the side of the road, the beggar is there, and the crowd comes by, and perhaps he asks, who is it that's in the crowd? But somehow he hears and he understands, it's Jesus of Nazareth that's coming by. And he knows about this man. He knows who he is. He knows the lynch. He knows the prophecies. He knows something about him. There is that beggar. That man named Bartimaeus. There seem to be others uh, there as well, other beggars perhaps as well, but this one is pointed out. And as he learned that Jesus is passing by, he calls on Jesus using that, that frame of reference, son of David. Have mercy on me. How many voices were around Jesus that day? How many people were pressing by him as he walks along? How hard would it have been to hear that man by the side of the road, but he calls out, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus responds and evidently he tells others tell him to come tell him to come to me 
If you've ever been in one of those crowds where somebody of importance, recognized importance is there, and you're pressed into the crowd to actually get close, to get near, it's very difficult. When Lyndon Baines Johnson was landing in Dallas one time, landing in Dallas, there were some people in the crowd. There was a, there was a young woman. Her name was Sherry Stovall. She was a granddaughter of one of the elders of the church where I grew up. Sherry was born with a, a severe case of cerebral palsy. Very difficult for her to get around, for her to talk, was halted. It was very hard for her to walk around, and as she got into adulthood, it became even harder for her to get around and difficult. But she was there. She was the, at the airport. When Lyndon Johnson got off of his plane that day, she was standing behind the ropes that held him back. And you realize the time frame in which this is taking place when they were skeptical about people getting too close to the president following John Kennedy's death. And she hollered and she hollered as best she could, and so many people were cheering and shouting, but nobody was going to hear over that din. But somewhere along the, the way, she pulled up the rope and in her halting way, she made her way across the tarmac. The officials tried to hold her back. The Secret Servant Service agents tried to turn her back, but Lyndon Johnson saw her, and he said, let her come. And that young woman went up, and whether you would like it or not, and the, who he was is immaterial in a way right now. But she went up, and she hugged the president, and the president hugged her. And Barnabas called out, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, let him come. And he humbly approached. When it says he, he dropped his garment, this was a, humble, a sign of humility as he was coming to Jesus. He humbled himself as he approached Jesus. And Jesus asked him, then what do you want me to do? And underscore the words, for you. And he responded as you would expect him to. Maybe you've read it a million times. And even if you haven't read it, what would you expect a blind man to ask? The blind man asked, and he asked for his sight, but I want you to notice. There are a lot of things going on. There are friends round about. There are other blind people there. There are other beggars in need round about. There are people that need healing in places. They would like for the kingdom to come in their sense of what the kingdom would be and throwing off the Roman powers. They would like to find peace in the world and so forth. But when he goes to Jesus, he asks for nothing more. And it may seem like a selfish thing in a way, but he asks for one thing. One thing. This is not the Miss America pageant where we say, what would you like to see? World peace? No, that's not the answer here. What would you like me to do for you? And his answer was he wanted his sight. I think it's a given. But Jesus healed him. Then Jesus healed him. And the blind man received his sight. And the story goes on and tells us that then he began to follow Jesus. Jesus healed him. He received his sight. An individual, one person, one very special person on this occasion. There were so many times he healed so many others. I think about the healing of those ten lepers in Luke 17. And only one returned in Jesus' statement there. Were there not ten who were, who were healed? Ten people were healed. Where are the nine? 
This was personal. It was intentional. It was selective. It was not a blanket healing of him and several others on this occasion, but it was just for him. So let me give you a thought. Let me give you some thoughts. I didn't want to say a thought because I'll give you more than one, and then you'll say, hey, you didn't tell me the truth. Let me give you some thoughts. Under the guise of his song, Jesus' song is for you. You understand how I'm using the word song. Not that he's singing to you, but what he has to give, it's for you. Three thoughts. A promise. Number one is make it personal. Bartimaeus wanted his sight. Make it personal. Remember that when a gift is given to you, it's a personal gift. Even when somebody goes out and they go to the store and they buy that that funny card. It's your birthday. And they buy you a card. And in the rack there are 10 others just like it. And across the country there are thousands of those cards, that same card. And people buy those cards and they give them away. And so that same card may be going to thousands of other people across the country, around the world, wherever it may be. And you may say, well, it's the same old card, same writing, same picture. It's the same card wherever it goes. It's just a broad-spectrum blanket given to all. But no, that's not the case. Because that person bought that card with you in mind. The saving grace of God, as well as the blood of Christ, was shed, yes, for all but it was shed for you. John 3.16 said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, don't get lost in the whosoever. Make it intentional. Make it personal. Make it yours. Don't get lost in the whosoever. Paul, talking about his own life, talking about that faithful saying in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, talks about that faithful saying that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Notice what he says, though, of whom I am foremost, the chief. He said, it was for me. Make it personal that he did this, the cost of it, the sacrifice of it, the blood of it, the love of it was for you. Make it yours personally. Secondly, make it applicable. It's not just something you take home and put on the shelf somewhere. I think about some of these people who have won lotteries or big outpourings of money, and, and then you read about them sometime later, and they've, they've lost it all. It's all gone, and, and they're flat broke again, all over again, because they didn't really know what to do with this great gift, if you will, that was laid in their lap. The thing to do is see what it can do to the value of your life. We so often look into that t- looked at that 10th verse of John 10 where he says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. In contrast to what others would bring, but he said, I came to bring you abundant life. What in the world does that mean? You need to look at your life. You need to see your life and see what the value is to your life. Bartimaeus knew the value to his life. He could see, but what did he do with it? He made it applicable. Because then he started following Jesus. Could we have seen him later? Could we have seen him at the cross? Could we have seen him on Pentecost? Could we have seen him down the way? Could we have seen him in Jericho down the years later? Perhaps. 
Make it applicable when you know the gift is given to you. And let me give you one more. Make it your motivation. Make it move you. I love the Old Testament story in Genesis 29 of Jacob. Jacob goes to his kinsman, Laban. And the basic idea is, I'm ready to work, and I'm ready to work for pay. Laban says, well, you know, that's it. You shouldn't work for me for nothing. And so they make an agreement. He says, I love your daughter. I want to marry your daughter. I want you to give me your daughter as a wife. Laban says, all right, let's work out a deal here. How about seven years? Don't smirk at that. How about seven years? Jacob says, okay. And he went to work. He got up every morning, stayed up late at night, in hot weather and cold, in droughts and in pouring rain. Jacob got out there and he took care of Laban's sheep day after day, year after year, 365 and a quarter days a year. He took care of Laban's stuff and it says it seemed but a short while because of the love he had for her. It was his motivation. It moved him every day to crawl out, to go out, to face what was there, to deal with the animals, to deal with everything else that was going on. He, he found his motivation. He let it move him every single day. And so you and me, we need to be able to picture ourselves. We need to picture ourselves at the foot of the cross that day. You need to see yourself there in the company of others. You need to see him in your mind, your heart's mind, or your mind's heart. I said that backward, didn't I? Whatever it is. You know what I'm saying. You need to picture yourself. You need to see yourself there and see him on that cross. You need to be looking up at him. You need to see the agony and the pain. You need to see the struggle that he is going through right there and right then. You need to see the abused back. You need to see the scoffers and the mockers there. You need to see the blood pouring from where the nails are piercing him. You need to see and understand what's going on and that mocking and that belittling and the death that is pouring onto that man. You need to see it for yourself because it needs to be a motivation to you, a motivating debt to you. As we think about that passage in Galatians 2, that we sometimes sing in the little song, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now finish it who loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, I call it for you, but you need to call it for me. Quite often when things aren't the way we want them to be, we say, don't take this personally. When somebody wants to correct us, somebody wants to say something to us, somebody wants to do something, they often say, don't take this personally. And usually it is a personal matter. Consider the gift of God. Consider what he's done. And what I'm going to tell you this morning is, 
when you consider that, when you look at that, when you're looking up at that cross, when you're considering what's there, when you're partaking of those emblems that represent him, when you're thinking about all of that, when you're thinking about why you're here and why we listen to this and why this is so important, we need to stop and remember because it is exactly what we say. It is for you. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. Perhaps there's someone who needs to obey the gospel even this morning. If you do, let us assist you. If you consider that or you need to know more, we'll gladly help you with that as well and questions or whatever, study together, whatever might be needed. But if there's a need, you need to come this morning. You need to bring forward. We'll gladly give you that opportunity. We'll gladly share it with you. If you need the prayers, whatever it might be this morning, if you have a need, this is the opportunity to do so. Let us all be reminded of how blessed we are. And if you need to come this morning, come while we stand and sing a song together.